Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic anytime. Or you can follow Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end when we're also going to share some exciting opportunities, and please feel free to share this with others who you know will also find it of interest. So today, I'm in the Judean mountains, but our, my guests are in Europe. My guests are both originally from Sweden. One is joining me from Greece, one is joining me from Sweden, and we're, we're addressing a topic that is still very current events uh, in Sweden. I'm very excited and grateful but here in Israel, it blew up in uh, in a way a few weeks ago that made me realize we needed to have this conversation. And just very quickly, by way of introduction of what we're speaking about, before I introduce um, our two guests, a few weeks ago, Swedish, and I'll be corrected if I'm mistaken or, or misrepresenting any of this afterward, Swedish court ruled that it was okay, that it was legal for someone to burn a Torah scroll in front of the well, I don't know if, it, if the ruling was specifically that it was going to be in front of the Israeli embassy, but some uh, someone appealed that he would want to burn a Torah scroll on a Saturday in front of the uh, in front of the Israeli embassy, and the court said yes that that was legal, uh, if I'm not mistaken, according to freedom of speech. Uh, now this followed already something had happened a, a few weeks earlier where I think it's the same gentleman, gentleman as I suppose a loose term, um, decided that he would burn a, a Quran uh, also in Sweden. And so the court has ruled there that we are, um, that, that in Sweden it is legal in the context of freedom of speech to burn sacred texts. Uh, today, I have two really special guests to help me understand and you understand and unpack the issue. First is Felicia Ferreira. She is the editor and CEO of Dagen, Sweden's largest daily Christian newspaper, whose website is Dagen, D-A-G-E-N dot S-E. By full disclosure, I have the privilege of writing a column uh, on Dagen about once every month, and it's really exciting to be able to do that and for the first time in my life have my uh, articles translated into Swedish. Felicia has been in media in Sweden for over two decades in a wide range of positions, and that kind of underscores how and why she's as well-placed for her position now as CEO and editor of, of Dagen. She holds a, a, a undergraduate degree in journalism and a master of science in uh, business administration. Felicia was good enough. Oh, and I should mention this. We go back a long time, all of several months, when she was in Jerusalem at the Christian Media Summit, and I was so impressed when I heard her speak in front of the entire uh, assembly there, and I immediately needed to connect with her. And she's already been on an Inspiration from Zion podcast back in the winter, and I'm so grateful to have her back and just love that we've become friends now and, and are communicating and corresponding. And when I reached out to her on this topic, she I said, well, who can we have a conversation with? Um, she immediately thought of Ruth Nordstrom, who is also our guest today. Ruth is the founder and CEO of the law firm and NGO Scandinavian Human Rights Lawyers. Now I'm reading, I'm reading her bio now because full disclosure also, Unlike Felicia, I've just now met Ruth here, here in, uh, on the screen in front of me, but I'm super impressed. Um, she has extensive experience both in, in national and international litigation and has been leading the, the legal counsel in several high-profile human rights case, cases, such as the Swedish midwife case about freedom of conscience for healthcare workers, and has successfully pursued complaints to the United Nations Torture Committee, I didn't even know there was such a thing, where Sweden was found guilty of violating the UN Convention Against Torture. 
She and her colleagues are known for their fight for the rights of victims of human trafficking and Christian converts seeking asylum in Sweden, and they have managed a large number of legal processes in international bodies at UN committees and the European Court of Human Rights, and have participated as Swedish experts in European Union projects regarding human trafficking. Ruth is also the host of the Human Rights Podcast and frequently engaged lecturer on issues relating to human rights and the author of the book, To the Defense of the Vulnerable, two books, and uh, Courage to Rise. If those are in English, I would love to uh, see those at some point. Ruth works within all legal areas of the law firm Scandinavian Human Rights Lawyers and serves as a plaintiff counsel, special representative for children, and as legal counsel in employment law matters with family and social law and migration and asylum matters. Um, wow, I am, I am impressed and I am so grateful for the both of you joining us. Welcome to Inspiration from Zion. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, since, since we don't have the benefit of having a podcast that also does video, so we're gonna get to use, used to uh, one another's voices. What I would love to do to begin Felicia, you're the journalist, and and uh, and also it impressed me when you spoke here in Jerusalem. Um, you certainly have your positions, and you're not a, embarrassed or ashamed. You advocate very strongly, but you're a you're a solid journalist, and and you unpack things um, fairly and appropriately. Uh, to, whether it's to the extent that I didn't complete the whole picture or may misrepresented, can you kind of widen the range because I only became aware of what happened when someone wanted to burn the Torah scroll there. Sure. So, I mean, I'm sure Ruth can go, go more into detail, but one thing that I could mention is that it's not actually, you know, the Swedish court that will rule over these occasions in, in every specific occasion. It's actually the police. You apply to the police to be able uh -huh. to demonstrate or manifest something you know, an opinion, and, and then they will uh, uh, allow or deny. And, and I'm sure Ruth can go into to this further after. Um, there is one case, though, um, where they tried to see if, um, if the burning of a Quran could possibly uh, go under hate speech instead of uh, freedom of speech. And, and unfortunately, or according to some, unfortunately not. Uh, it it could not, was not um, able to to be ruled like that. But but I'm sure this route can, can explain much better. But then I would also like to add, I mean, there's been several occasions, not just the recent ones in, in the last couple of weeks, there's been several occasions where um, people, and it's been for different uh, reasons, have tried to burn or burn the Quran uh, at different locations. I will also say that this also has happened uh, for quite many years in a neighboring country, Denmark. So they've had to deal with this for, for many, many years. And and um, I, I read that now when someone applied to burn the Quran there just a few weeks ago, no one showed up. No one. No one from the media. No protesters. There was like no reactions, which also says a lot. You know, the, the Danish people are super tired of, of these provocations. And I'd say we are a little bit more new to this in Sweden. Uh -huh. So it hasn't happened for many years here, but it's been, been quite a few occasions uh, in the past. I would say past couple of years, uh, it, it happened not often or frequently and never with the Torah before. Um, you mentioned that you guys uh, noticed just because of, of the application from someone that wanted to burn also the Torah, as well as the Bible uh, outside the Israeli embassy. And this also uh, lit a fire, you know, in many different countries. So um, that's, that's just a little bit of context. What I will say as well is that, you know, uh, Swedish people in general, and uh, Swedish politicians and authorities do not like these things that have been going on. I would say that there's a majority of Swedish people, authorities and politicians that would say, you know, this is despicable behavior. Uh, this is provoking. This is uh, disrespectful to religious people, whether it be Jewish people or Muslim people or Christians. And, and I've, I've heard extremely, extremely few that supports this type of behavior that we would call it but you also have 
I would say, and, and let's see what Ruth thinks about this, but you have a majority of Swedes that will support our constitutional law about the freedom of speech, that it needs to go and reach very, very far, even covering things that we don't like or that we mm. might get offended by. And we are many Swedes, I think, that will protect this law until the end, you know, because we have so many historical examples all over the world that shows if you limit this law and, and if you allow different groups to decide what should be legal and not, then, you know, you are in danger. So that was a, a short uh, initial reflection so from, that, from my part. That's great. Thank you. I mean, I suppose it's also a legal term. Um, it's sort of the slippery slope concept yes. that if you allow. Yeah. But what's also fascinating, and, and again, I, I grew up in America, so most of my orientation, even though I'm living here in Israel now, uh, almost 20 years, but, but we, we there's a there's an English phrase of that something to the effect that um, I, I will disagree with you passionately, but I will advocate for your right to say whatever you want to say, but there are limits. Ruth, what, what can you add to the kind of the background on all of this? Uh, well, I would agree um, with what Felicia and you said here in the beginning. Um, I would uh, cite the Swedish prime minister who said it's legal to burn the Quran, but it's not appropriate. So there are two different aspects here where we can criticize, but the legal side of it, there are four laws actually protecting or covering these issues. So the first is, uh, of, course, the, of course, the Constitution that Felicia mentioned. And we don't have hate speech laws in Sweden. And I'm sure that most other people would not like hate speech laws to be introduced in Sweden. But what we do have is um, freedom of speech and freedom of demonstration. That is covered by the Constitution and also the European Convention on Human Rights. But then in a criminal law, we have, it is forbidden to agitate or, or the in, incitement against a group of people is forbidden. So we will discuss the limits of this later on, I think. And then we also have the law of public order. And the law of public order is the law that applies when somebody applies for permission to burn the Quran or burn the Bible or burn the Torah. And what happened is that there have been many burnings of the, of the Quran. But um, you mentioned that the, that the court said it was right to give permission to, to the man who applied to burn the Torah. What is correct is that um, the uh, the police applied or the police gave permission to burn both the Bible and the Torah, just as they had done regarding Paladin and others burning of the Quran. Okay. What was applied to the court was not the burning of the Torah. It was the burning of the Quran. So the court said, but it could be applied on both. Okay. Uh, and the court said it was wrong of the police to forbid it because it was covered by the freedom of expression. And, and most Swedes will support that, that concept. Well, yeah, there have been uh, recent polls um, and there have been different um, results of these polls. But the most recent I read is that there, um, the majority, I think it was 53% of the Swedish people uh, recording to this poll that uh, a majority of the Swedish people won't ban against okay. the burning of the Quran and other holy books. Okay. So that, that, go ahead. And I think there were uh, more females than men that wanted to to ban. There was interesting that there was a high difference between the genders um, I, regarding this. I think when it comes to those numbers, though, I think you have a group of, of people in Sweden, they will say, why can't we ban it uh, according to what's the law you mentioned, Ruth? Um, um, yes, agitation or in, uh, incitement against a group of people. Yeah. Not so, hate speech. Yeah. yeah. 
exactly that that's the correct name for it so so i mean i guess it depends what you're asking about um and and we also have um i think uh, in the debate we've been debating a lot on because in some countries you really have you're not allowed for example to speak bad about a certain god uh, depending on which country and depending which god you know and and this has led to in several countries let's say india as an example um that when you have this in the law it all depends on who suddenly is in in ruling position right so now um uh, muslims and christians are being severely persecuted uh for them not, you know speaking up against uh, allah uh, for example or uh, opposing against the uh, hindu god or you know depending on which country it is and and people actually get you know persecuted and killed uh, because of these types of laws so the slippery slope uh, i think that's where people see it going if we're not careful uh, the question is though from from many people asking even some some uh, human rights organizations or, or civil rights organizations are saying you know we should find a way within the laws that we already have to ban these specific things or we should be able to the, the the police should be able to have room enough within the law to say you know fine you can burn your books but not in front of a mosque because that's uh -huh. extremely uh, extremely provoking we will localize you over there uh, i don't know Ruth, if 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 you see it as an option uh, for the police yes. let me share a quick story back in college i studied hebrew as my foreign language we were a class of American Jews and one Christian student, Tim. One day I asked Tim why he was studying Hebrew. I really didn't get it. He explained that he was the son of a pastor and wanted to understand the Bible in its original language. He was insightful beyond my understanding at the time. Recently, I was introduced to eTeacher, which allows people all over the world to learn Hebrew to develop a foundation of the original language of the scripture that's so important to us as Jews and Christians, and to gain an understanding that Tim understood, laying a critical path for understanding the Bible's original language and a foundation for Christians to understand both the modern state of Israel and the Jewish people on a more personal basis. E-Teacher offers programs to study both biblical and modern Hebrew taught by experienced scholars through an interactive curriculum. The Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation is pleased to partner with eTeacher and offer you a 15% introductory discount. You can register through the link in the show notes or be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and we'll be happy to forward those links to you. Yeah, because I think um, that debate is actually more interesting because we already have, like I said, the law of public order and it would be possible for the police to say, well, you can have the burning, but please have the burning at this place or this location instead. Uh, or, but what is interesting is that right now there are not so many possibilities for the police to take into account the the issue of national security. Oh, very interesting. And that that would be maybe be a good possibility because right now the only thing they they can measure in and take into account as the safety of the demonstration itself. Public security. Yeah, but if, if it would be possible to for them to take account into national security on a higher level within the framework of the law as it is right now, then maybe that would be possible. That would be one possibility. The other possibility is, of course, to use the law agitation against a group of people. But it is kind of difficult because this has been discussed among us lawyers for many, many years. And uh, regarding the Jews, it would be more, uh, it would be easier to say, well, this is a group of people and it, um, it but regarding Muslims, it's, According, according to the prosecutors, uh, burning the Quran is not within the frameworks of, of this law. So what we as lawyers want is that the public prosecutor actually brings the case to the court. So the court, the Supreme Court, 
who decide the limits of freedom of speech and if it would be appropriate to use this law that forbids agitation or incitement against a group of people regarding the burning of not only the Torah, but also uh, the Bible or the Quran. Right. That's it, fascinating. It, yeah, it is. But it's very important to remember that, you know, freedom has a very high standard regarding freedom of speech and freedom of even if uh, the majority of people want to ban uh, the burning of Quran and Torah and other holy holy books, I think it's exactly like like Felicia said. It's just because they need to be within the framework of the law, not restricting freedom of speech, because freedom of speech is has a such a high protection in Sweden, right? And, and, it, and it should have, I think. Agreed. And it sounds like what, what I'm hearing from you in the West in general and Sweden, perhaps in specific, there's a sacredness of, of the law. And, and what you've indicated is that, sure, there is a, um, the legal term just went out of my head. Uh, there is a way to, to appeal the law, to propose new laws, to go to the Supreme Court and let the Supreme Court adjudicate um, or define the, the the scope of whatever law that may be under new circumstances, and that's always the job of the court. It's the interpretation of the law. Quite fascinating. Um, exactly, I, I wanna... and I mean, we have had laws uh, that punish blasphemy and hate speech, but that was abolished in 1970. So uh, it goes back to the 17th and 18th centuries where people were executed for that type of crime. Very and I think it's very interesting also because we also have to see the reactions from the Muslim countries. And maybe ah. we will discuss that later on because, and we see that as lawyers, we defend a lot of Christian converts that converted from Islam to Christianity. And when they come to Sweden, they highly appreciate the freedom of speech and freedom of expression and freedom of religion. Because and we, if they are sent back to their countries they came from, right, they would be executed. Yeah, they would be tortured uh, just for criticizing uh, the religion. So, yeah, I think it's a very uh, important aspect to to bring into the table. Thank you. For I, that. I think that's really important what what you're saying, Ruth. And and I mean, you can also. Uh, in some parts, at least, compare these to political ideologies, um, uh, which, you know, uh, should also be protected <laughs> as far as the religious ones. And what I think, but I realized, because I, I received, especially from Israel, Israeli friends, when this happened a few, you know, a while back, um, someone was allowed, but he never did burn the Torah. Uh, we need to clarify that. He, yes. he he was granted permission uh, to to sort of demonstrate um, quote demonstrate, um, but he never did it. Um, but um, the reactions has surprised me a little bit because I do know I'm aware of that. You know, the Swedish state is secular, and we are one of the most secular countries in the world. And this also makes something with society, even if we, you know, go towards more and more pluralistic society with, with different religions and different beliefs taking place here, you cannot compare it to, you know, for example, Israel. Uh, so you will have a blindness here in Sweden uh, towards sacred things, I would say. And you wow. will have a, a, a sort of, um, I, I wouldn't call it intolerance. It's more like an ignorance or um, an, uh, like, they're unaware, people are in general are unaware of how holy something can be to a person, such as uh -huh. the Quran or the Torah. You know, the, the Quran is is uh, basically like Jesus is for for Christians, you know, the Quran is not just a holy scripture. Uh, it's, it's, you know, something alive as well as, you know, the, the Bible and the Torah. So, but this is, um, this is not very common knowledge. I would say in Swedish society at the moment, so or, or because of our secularized history in in the past decades. So that's uh, that's uh, good to have in mind. But even though I know this, 
I was a little bit surprised by especially the Israeli, the Jewish reactions, uh, because I had many friends such as yourself, Jonathan, you yeah. know, reaching out and everyone is like, how, how is this possible? They yeah. com they're completely shocked that we would have a law that allows this. Yeah. And I'm like, how is this so surprising? Because freedom of speech, you know? So that was interesting for me to meet all these reactions. And, and, and I don't know if, if you if you understand where I'm coming from, but it's like, of course, we need to protect as far as we can. But then, of course, you have, you know, despicable people using this, the, using the law for their agendas uh, to to stop the process of Sweden joining NATO, for example, or or um, uh. Uh, someone, you know, to protest again against Islam in general. And they know the reactions from the Islamic world will be strong. And Ruth, you also mentioned national security. I mean, just in the past weeks. And, and many things maybe will happen even more before this, this podcast is published. But uh, we're having huge problems at the moment in Sweden. The politicians are busy. So we're being boycotted. We're having uh, some um, extreme Islamist, Islamistic, I will say, organizations that, said we're, that, that have been saying, you know, wherever you meet a Swede, you're allowed to attack them. And, oh, you know, yeah. so there's all kinds of craziness going on, strong reactions. So some of the people burning the Quran, for example, I'm sure they know that this will be the reactions and that's why they do it also. To incite, which is which is against the law there. But thank you. This is so fascinating. I want to take a very quick break and come back. And I, I, there's so much to continue, but let's take a very quick break and I want to come back. If you're like most people in the world, you know about the Holocaust, but never met, much less interacted with the Holocaust survivor or heard their stories of suffering and survival. With the remaining elderly survivors dying at an unprecedented pace, in less than a generation, there will be none alive. Yet, while they did survive, and for that we need to celebrate them, many still suffer trauma from their youth. As they age, they have increasing needs, and living on fixed incomes, sometimes with no pension, Things as simple and essential as basic foods, heating in the winter, medicine, and inflation can push someone over the line from surviving to struggling again. It can create stress in their lives that reminds them of the suffering they endured as young people. It's just not acceptable that anyone who suffered as much should struggle with basic needs or any undue stress in their twilight years. I want to invite you to join the Genesis 123 Foundation to bless the survivors. Yes, we pray that you'll donate personally and do so generously. And when you do, we also give you the opportunity to send your personal blessings and words of encouragement to the survivors themselves to brighten their day and let them feel your love. Having been privileged to provide financial resources to help survivors on a day-to-day -day basis, I know it makes a difference and is very appreciated. But your personal note that we translate into Hebrew, Russian, or Yiddish really makes them smile and warms their heart. I pray you'll join us by going to genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. That's genesis123.co slash hug a survivor, and please share this with others. We can't undo the suffering that they endured, and there's no limit to what the needs are, but we can never do too much to comfort them in their final years. Please join us. God bless you. Okay. Um, wow. Felicia there are and so many strings here that you want to continue on. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I regret yeah. that we only have an hour to yeah. do all of this. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I wanted just to respond. I, I really, when when this first came to my attention, I think my social media post was somewhat rhetorical. First, I wanted to, I wanted not to um, have lots of rhetoric. I didn't want to be accusatory. But I was wondering, is this freedom of speech or is this hate speech? And what bothered me, I think, the most, other than the notion of burning a Torah, was that it was being done at the Israeli embassy, or the, the, the application was to do it at the Israeli embassy, because that, as an Israeli, became a national thing 
not in front of a synagogue. And, and, and that, I think, added to my um, dismay. And I will tell you with full, full disclosure, that Friday night, knowing that there was supposed to be a burning of a Torah scroll the following day, I began my Shabbat really quite forlorn. I was very distressed, imagining that something horrible was going to happen and and that it's not that far it's not that far ago or that far away that it was very normal to burn Jewish text and synagogues. So this is I think the added, but I, I I'd love to I, I know that maybe maybe Felicia, before we talk about this the Islamic um response because that's clearly been has been in, in, in is ongoing. And I don't know to the extent that it should or shouldn't mitigate the law or change the law. But you shared with me and I didn't have time to do a Google translation of the uh, uh Israeli ambassador's article that was on Dagen. Can you, I, I, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, I didn't intend to uh, ask you this, but do you remember, what was the gist of what he wrote? No, but uh, uh, good. And it was actually, it was the ambassador, Zid Kuhlman, and it was in another newspaper, actually. I wish it was oh. in ours, but it was in Express. And, um, okay. uh, just to be clear. No, but he, he was on to, I, I would say, some of the thoughts that you just shared which is totally understandable uh, from the Jewish group and Jewish community and Jewish perspective, you know, and I, I, it, it was about, you know, the hurt and about how recent it was, just like you said, that the burning of Torah was something completely different, you know, and, and um, had um, implications for, for, you know, 6 million Jews and for generations of Jewish people. Uh, after that so completely understandable and I think we were a lot of Swedish people suffering uh, with Jew the Jewish community at that time as well as uh, the, the the Muslim community as we've been discussing as well and there's a lot of support for for the Jewish there's been huge support for the Jewish community uh, around this and there's been articles and there's been you know politicians saying we stand with you and you know uh, there's been like huge huge support from the Swedish society and, and from from Swedish politicians so I would just say you know 100% understandable and there has to be I, I would say myself personally, I think the work needs to continue on how to do this in a better way. Uh, as I said, I'm not, I'm not, you know, uh, an educated lawyer like Ruth or anything, but, you know, there has to be ways to look at it. There has to be some type of mandate given to the police to be able to, to localize these things different, if they're even going to happen. Uh, hopefully, though, uh, the reactions from society was part of why it never occurred the burning of the Torah I'm hoping that this huge support and and people were so upset you know in every single newspaper and you know it was extreme and even the Jewish community uh, thanked a lot of the Swedish people afterwards for all the support so I think that's that's good to clarify also um, and of course there are reactions um, I was just, I mean, when I say I was a little bit su surprised about the strong reactions, it was like uh, the reactions, the type of like, oh, why don't you just change the law, the freedom of speech law? And that's a little bit more tricky, according yes. to, yeah. You, um, you, you, without advocating for it one way or the other, hmm. you both expressed already why that, wh wh why it's a bedrock of Swedish society. And frankly, I, you know, I have a hard time disagreeing. It's still gonna, it's still gonna hurt, and one would hope it's very encouraging to hear that the Swedish society was was so standing with with the Jewish people. Um, yeah, Ruth, also, I, I, I do want to get into the the yeah. Islamic response, but do you, is there something that you wanted to respond to? What? Yeah, the, because just like uh, Felicia said, the man who had received permission to burn the Torah, the Bible, outside of the Israel embassy was a Muslim. Right. And he said that he never intended to actually burn the Torah. He said that uh, Muslims don't burn holy books. So <laughs> I think he he wanted to do it as a reaction to see if the Swedish police oh. would act on the same way if a Muslim wanted to burn the Torah and the Bible. 
and he got the permission. And it's worth noticing also that there were no counter protests uh, to speak at the demonstration. It was, you know, all, like Felicia said, in the beginning, there were many protesting against uh, Paladin and others, you know, doing this, but then, yeah, so there, I think people are more tired of this and also they are afraid of, you know, what would happen regarding the national security right now because of all the Muslim countries saying, or Muslim leaders saying that you could, you should boycott uh, Sweden and also Sweden is a legal target right now because yeah, of yeah. so and, and the Swedish and embassy in Iraq was destroyed, right? Yeah, and what is important oh, though is regarding to the law because the the uh, the discussion regarding the Swedish law agitation or incitement against uh, a group of people, unlike, for example, Muslims or, or Christians, Jews are defined only as a religious community, but also as a people group regarding right. to this law. So this is another legal definition here, because the Supreme Court has already ruled that Nazi's symbol, for example, in itself constitutes the expression of a negative opinion against Jews. Uh -huh. That the public display of these symbols would constitute agitation or incitement against a group of people. Because the Jews is not only a religious community. So, so that is a different here in Sweden. So I would say that maybe the courts would have ruled differently of uh, burning the Torah. But it, it is also important to see in the context would happen more because I would say that if a teacher used the symbol, for example, to teach his students about what happened, he would not be condemned according to the law. But if a person stands uh, on the public square wearing the symbols and, you know, if the motive is, uh, you have to see in the motives, and, uh, of course, and so on. So what we lawyers really want to see is the public prosecutor to bring up this to the court so we can have uh the 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 highest court to rule so it would it would be very good if this was brought forth there was actually a prosecutor that wanted to to bring this forth a couple of years ago and uh i think it was in august 2020 it was a controversial artist i think his name was Don Park, and he had previously been convicted of incitement against ethnic group in other contexts, and he applied to arrange a bacon-wrapped Quran burning in Malmö on a public square, I think. Okay. And this application to the police was rejected, but some others pursued his idea, and violence broke out and so on, and many people were... Um, convicted of uh, violent rioting at the incident. Okay. But then th for the first time, a local prosecutor, as I remember, tried to report and bring up a claim of incitement against a group of people for Quran burning. But then the investigation of the police was dropped because the prosecutor said uh, that it was not possible to prove a crime. But... Uh, but maybe because of the threats of the local of the national security now, and because you know people re really want to use the law we have, uh, not not changing the constitution, not restricting freedom of speech or change that law, but to use the law of public order and to use the law of agitation against a group of people sure. to see if we could be given more room, more space to the police to restrict this. So, but I have, here's a question and, and maybe beginning to wrap up, Ruth, I know you're on a schedule and, and you'll just let us know when you have to go and maybe we'll continue. Um, but the whole idea of national security is fascinating. When I, sitting here in Israel, I think of national security and I think of terrorism and I think of um, our, our, what's happening on our northern border with Hezbollah and 150,000 rockets and Gaza and, and Hamas and, and when I and Iran from from 
thousand or two thousand kilometers away. And 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're saying or what the 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 nature of the dialogue is. But it seems that the application of the concept of national security is more reactive to what's happened as a consequence of the burning of the Quran. And that, to me, doesn't seem like the proper way to adjudicate a law. National security is national security, and yet the Iranians have threatened, and, and I, I don't know who, who which of you had said, I didn't know this, that now Swedes, according to someone's fatwa, are now legitimate targets, and that's horrific. Uh, I mean, that's, that's absolutely obscene. Um, and the Swedish embassy was destroyed in uh, in Iraq. Um, and I don't even know what all else has gone on. Maybe you can enlighten, but but it, is it right to be applying laws based on threats from a religious group? Well, right now, it's, the permission can't be denied to secure the Swedish national security, only with regard to the safety and order at that very demonstration connected right. regarding to the law. And also, I would say that all restrictions uh, regarding also to the European Court of Human Rights and the European Convention regarding human rights that define freedom of expression and freedom of opinion, freedom of public uh, Demonstration, demonstration, and so on. Uh, in order to limit these uh, freedoms, um, it has to be necessary in a democratic sized society. It has to be um, a, a restriction that has a basis in the law. It must be lawful. Of course. And it must be proportionate. So there are just legal discussions regarding how you could limit freedom of expression and still, you know, be within the, these frameworks uh, that have been, you know, we have worked uh, on since 1948 regarding the UN Convention on Human Rights in 1950, uh, the Convention of the European Convention on the Human Rights. And all these conventions on human rights, we know the background of the freedom uh, and the human rights, that was the World War II. And the lawmakers and the uh, leaders of the world sat down to discuss how can we uh, codify natural law or the rights and the dignity of every people in every nation in every time and so on. And those human rights were ensured uh, by the UN um, in 1948 and then two years after the European Convention on Human Rights. And of course, okay. these human rights are basis of our democracy. But I, I agree to what you say because the slippery slope comes if you just, okay, who screams uh, highest or who can give, you know, of course, just to change something just because of the reactions or because of the national security is is of course one way to do it but then what would be the next thing um, right. that we have to change the next right. law we have to change so you always have to bear that in mind but also at the same time i quoted the the swedish prime minister you know i agree with the swedish prime minister saying it should be legal but it's not appropriate to do it at that location and so on. And just like Felicia said before, we are the second most secular country in the world. So it is very difficult for sure. people, secular people, to understand what is holy. But we also need to see the reactions, I think, from the Muslim governments. Uh, they are very different from the reactions from Christian leaders in churches. Um, or, you know, the Jewish leaders. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I will say though. Um, I, I mean, there's been been uh, a few despicable reactions, and Qatar is now also to add to to the list you mentioned, Jonathan. Qatar also is boycotting, taking down Swedish Swedish um, goods and and so on in their in their stores and boycotting Sweden. And there's a number of countries. I will say, however, I have seen, I have watched. Uh, several videos of Muslim leaders, imams, 
uh, answering questions from, you know, agitated uh, Muslim people saying, you know, what should we do about this going on in Sweden? And they will say, you know, they will not put it maybe the way I'd like them to put it, but they will say, ignore them. Uh, okay. Because when you respond, they win. Uh, so, so there's uh, several, of course, Muslim leaders that will try to, you know, calm the situ situation down as well. But I wish there would be more, though, more Muslim leaders that would speak up uh, to calm the situation down. Um, so I'm actually calling out for Muslim leaders in whatever countries uh, to to speak up, to uh, to speak to people, um, because this is not the way to respond to provocations. I'd say with you know violence and death and destruction. Uh, the uh, Swedish embassy in Iraq was completely demolished, completely destroyed, and there was actually people still there while they attacked. Oh my. So they immediate danger. Uh, fortunately, no one was injured at this time, uh, at this occasion, but it was a very, very close call. And that is, that is also uh, unacceptable, I would say, as well as the burning of the Quran, the burning of Torah and the Bible is un unacceptable behavior or in inappropriate behavior, as mentioned here from the Swedish prime minister. Um, that is completely unacceptable behavior also with uh, responding with violence and death and destruction. So I'm calling out for all Muslim leaders, Jewish leaders, Christian leaders to speak up on these matters. It's important. I hope that this conversation will be shared very widely because uh, you, you, it's not that you've changed my opinion. And I, 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 I'll agree with uh, Ruth, who agreed with the prime minister that, yeah, it, 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 it it's hard to say it can't be legal, but it's a terrible slippery slope and it shouldn't be. Um, Ruth, you were going to say something else? Yes, it will be very interesting. I think this podcast will be published after the conference uh, with the 70 or 57 uh, Muslim countries that has said uh, they have said that, yeah, 57 Muslim countries have said that they will have a conference to this discuss reactions regarding to the Quran burning. And I think this podcast will be published after this conference. So yeah, I agree, totally agree with Felicia here saying that uh, it is very important that the leaders, uh, of course, the political leaders calm down the situation instead of escalating violence. And as a lawyer representing hundreds uh, of Muslims having converted to, to Christianity, coming, fled to Sweden to seek asylum and uh, refuge and um, fighting for their right to stay in safety in Sweden, not to be sent back where they will uh, be facing torture, death penalty, right. just because they criticize Islam or just because they changed religion. I think it's important to, to have that aspect in mind as well. Amazing. Um, wow. There was just a question I was going to ask on that went out I, of my I head. I just want to mention also that, you know, the idea of burning a Quran is also related to discussion about trigger warnings. You know, we could have those things in other contexts, too, that, uh, you know, it's important, you know, being safe zones. And that's on, an, on another level. But still, I think that would be one argument in Sweden as well, that freedom of expression should we should tolerate, you know, discomfort or conflicts within our own beliefs and so on. So I think the discussion is on three or four different levels here. Yes. But that Have is you... just to, to give understanding to to how, you know, the, the context of how we discuss this in Sweden. Have you seen faith communities coming together there specifically? In solidarity, when uh, I, I think because of what I do with the Genesis One Two Three Foundation, my near exclusive focus is building bridges between Jews and Christians. We share Scripture. We understand that the, the the divine promises through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the fulfillment of that here. And Islam is monotheistic, but but not in the biblical framework. Um, and it's not a disrespect of Islam. It's just that it's different. What where what are you seeing happening on the ground in Sweden with Three monotheistic groups where there's been a Quran burned, the threat of a Torah and Bible. What's happening there? 
Well, there have been more support. Uh, I've seen more support when they have tried to burn down uh, a mosque or uh, tried to burn down a church or when they have, you know, had demonstration that had stirred up hatred against uh, different uh, ethnical groups or, or so on. I haven't seen so many church leaders speaking out or so many meetings uh, between the different religious leaders. Have you, Felicia? No, I, I mean, recently there there was an article published uh, from uh, various uh, people uh, from different religions um, and uh, uh, to to support the Muslim Muslim community. And there were Christians and there were, um, you know, secular people and so on. And they said, we want to show that we... Uh, we support the Muslim community. We we don't think this is a, a good behavior at all, burning the Qurans. However, that's on a more, you know, it was some journalists, some writers, some columnists, some, uh, I haven't seen it as much uh, in the top leader uh, level, at, at the top leader level. So I think what, what you're um, asking for, Jonathan, I, I would wish and hope that we can see more of. I know uh, the politicians will meet with the, you know, the Jewish community or, or the, the head of the synagogue and they will meet and then they will go meet in a mosque and things like this. But like you say, in between religious leaders, I think there could be plenty of more meetings, definitely. Wow, fascinating. Um, the restoration of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel was an earth-shattering event. For Christians, it was a confirmation that God always keeps his covenantal promises. Today, we are blessed to see God's fingerprints in the modern miracle of the land of Israel playing out in our lives among the people and in the state of Israel. This year, on the occasion of Israel's 75th anniversary, the Genesis 123 Foundation has been privileged to bring together 75 Christian leaders from around the world to lend their unique voices, sharing their personal faith experiences relating to Israel and their in-depth insight into Israel's history and spiritual significance, creating an historical, one-of-a-kind, high-end coffee table book, Israel the Miracle. Israel the Miracle's stunning imagery will fill your home with the hope of fulfilled promises and conversations about Israel. It's a perfect gift to anyone for any occasion, and most of all, to yourself. You'll also be a blessing to Israel knowing that the proceeds will go to bless Israelis of all backgrounds. Be a part of Israel the miracle and bring the land, the people, and the state of Israel into your heart and into your home. Visit IsraelTheMiracle.com to get your limited edition copy today. Let me just begin to wrap up. This really could go on forever. And, and Ruth, I'm grateful that you mentioned that the, this will come out after the uh, meeting of the Islamic countries. I invite, we always try and invite people uh, with, uh, with the inspiration from Zion podcast to, um, to engage. So I'm hoping that as people engage, I will certainly hear from you or other sources, what's the outcome of that specifically as it relates to Sweden. And I really want to invite and encourage people to reach out to me and let me share whatever updates um, that there are. But just beginning to wrap up, um, Ruth, Felicia, in, in any no particular order, what else do we need to know? What else um, ha have we not covered that people around the world who are listening either need to understand better the, the Swedish law and the application or, or how wrong that is and it needs to be thrown out or anything in oh. between? Yeah, I, just shortly then um, at the end here, um, I, I, I'm thinking about a quote from Salman Rushdie, the author, <laughs> uh, the, the British Indian author. And uh, as we know, he's been, you know, in trouble since 1988 when he wrote the, the satanic verses and someone, you know, ordered a fatwa over him. And he's been, you know, uh, under a lot of, of pressure and um, security wise since then. But he said something like this. I'm, I'm not sure I, I translated it exactly correct. But, you know, the second your right to offend someone, um, uh, the second you don't have a right to offend someone, that right ceases to exist. And I think that sums it up a little bit uh, here uh, that this is what we're afraid of, you know, and that's why we need to be careful. Not saying that there's not things that can be done and can be improved, 
uh, and not saying that, you know, a lot of Swedish people, I want to underline that again, uh, really don't like what has happened. And they don't like the Quran burnings. They don't like any Torah burnings, nothing. The Torah burning never happened, though. So just to mention that again. But, you know, the, the second you say, you know, you, you don't have the right to offend anyone, then you don't have that right anymore. The right is gone, right? Ruth, you're nodding actively. Yeah, and from a strictly, you know, legal perspective, I think it should be allowed still within the limits of freedom of expression to to burn the Quran or other sacred books. But as I said in the beginning, um, you should also be able to condemn these actions and to condemn the result of these actions. And, And also, I think it should be possible for the police within the legal framework that we already have to restrict it in a, in a better way that they have been able to do right now. Also, I think it's important to take into account national security and the threats against Sweden because this has happened. And <clears throat> because freedom of expression is so very fundamental. And of course, as a human rights lawyer, freedom of expression is like the cornerstone yes. of a democratic society. And it must be as broad as possible, despite the amount of hurt fe- feelings that comes as a result. But at the same time, without saying you know that offensive actions, regardless of whether they are directed to, uh, you know, regarding the Quran or the Bible or the Torah, it should, of course, be possible. Like the Prime Minister said, it should be legal, but it's not appropriate. And it's not a good way to criticize Islam. If you want to criticize Islam, it's better to do that in another way than hurting Muslims by burning their holy book. Hmm. You know, an open and objective debate, which, of course, could include open criticism against the religion is always better and more preferable in a democratic and society an open society of course but we know that we can't make a cartoon of the prophet muhammad on the front of a uh, of a french newspaper because of that yeah the, the, the exactly. limits of national security right this is this yeah. is all related yeah it is it is and it's very important to have that in mind because there are there is a difference actually, between burning the Torah, burning the Bible, and burning uh, the Quran because of this. Yep, for yep. good and for bad. Um, Ruth and Felicia, wow, I knew I needed to have this conversation. Um, my heart is racing now. This has been so intriguing. Um, I honestly didn't know coming into this conversation where I stood or, or what to think. Um, so my goodness, I hope this gets shared super widely. Uh, so fascinating. And and thank you both. And Felicia, thank you for thinking to include Ruth in this. You've been extraordinary. And I hope that this will be the beginning of a, of a tremendous dialogue. And when when Dagen hosts me in uh, in Sweden, I'll look forward to seeing you in person. Thank you both for taking time today. Thank you so thank much you for having us. Thank you. What a delight. I, you know, I started uh, years ago uh, ending the conversations by saying, if you've stayed with us, you deserve a reward. And and that was somewhat tongue in cheek and somewhat uh, irreverent about myself. But I have to tell you, this was one of those amazing conversations. Nevertheless, we all, we are offering a reward. We want you to share this conversation. We want you to like and comment uh, on it. And and all you need to do is go to the Inspiration from Zion social media and do that. And every month, we're picking someone at random to receive a book. It started out with me giving other people's books, but I'm so excited that next month, we are we as the Genesis 123 Foundation are coming out with our own book called Israel the Miracle. So for the foreseeable future, Every month, you have an opportunity to get a free copy of uh, Israel the Miracle simply by commenting or liking or sharing the the link to this podcast. Uh, We're always grateful that uh, Inspiration from Zion is sponsored by our friends first at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area, I always encourage people to stop in and thank them for helping make conversations like this possible. And also the Coyne family for their generous and meaningful sponsorship. 
inspiration from Zion, and all of the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider uh, joining us to help continue the dialogue. And if you would like to sponsor a future episode and honor, mem honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion or your fam favorite Swedish Christian human rights organization or, uh, or, 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 or newspaper, please be in touch at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd always love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions as well, especially questions about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy. And I send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you. Hallelujah, al-mashayah, al-mashayah, al